This episode is sponsored by Cengage. From online to high-flex learning, Cengage supports your changing pedagogy at scale. Learn more at Cengage.com institutional. That's C-E-N-G-A-G-E dot com slash institutional. Hello, I'm Paul Fain, a contributing editor inside higher ed and the host of The Key with IHE. We're talking about anxiety and isolation among college students today on The Key, both from a leadership and a mental health counseling perspective. Here's Alfred Anthony Pinkard, the president of Wilberforce University, talking about what Wilberforce students have been experiencing in recent months. George Floyd brought into bold focus what every Black person in America has always known, including our students. And so this was a pivotal moment for them, but not in the way that you might imagine. This did not increase their anxiety. In fact, in some ways, this was an affirmation for what they had been experiencing. What was different was the fact that others who were not African-American were now recognizing what they have always known in their lives. President Pinkard also spoke about how to be encouraging for students and faculty and staff members amid a pandemic. But I also say to them that you're young and you're resilient. That is part of being young, that you will get through this, that this pandemic will not be with us forever. It's not, we can look at history and see that it's not going to be forever. To get a medical perspective on students' mental health in these uncertain times, I spoke with Alan Dennington, the chief medical officer at Timely MD, a telehealth provider focused on college students. Dr. Dennington described the spike in student demand for mental health counseling Timely MD has seen, as well as some of the reasons students are reaching out for counseling. Really COVID anxiety, but also anxiety and depression as very common reasons for those calls. And a lot of that we believe is coming from this sense of isolation that students have uh, and being away from their friends. Obviously there's a lot going on in the world, uh, culturally as well. And those things are all really driving up stress and anxiety. All right, let's get to the conversation. So I am speaking with Dr. Alfred Anthony Pinkard, the president of Wilberforce University. How are you doing, President Pinkard? I'm well, thank you very much. Thank you, Paul, for, for this invitation to uh, spend some time with you. So I know that Wilberforce made the decision to go virtual uh, as our march was firing up. Can you talk a little bit about how the fall term is shaped up? Yes, uh, we, uh, like most institutions, uh, went virtual, as you indicated, uh, in March, uh, as it was sort of an immediate response to what was happening. Uh, and uh, over the summer, we, uh, I impaneled a uh, scenario planning committee, and we looked at all of the factors. And throughout all of this, I said to the campus community and to all of our constituents that we would be led by, by the science uh, with regard to our decision to open up in the fall. And so we, like most institutions, uh, we're very hopeful that we would be able to come back uh, in a face-to-face environment. But as the summer progressed and as we began to listen uh, and see what was happening with this virus, it became clear to us that for our campus community, of course, other institutions have made differing decisions, uh, that it was the best for us to go to a complete virtual uh, teaching and learning environment. And so we did. And uh, all the while, though, this summer, we were in touch with our students uh, and we let them know that we are hearing you. And we asked them what they wanted 
and uh, many of them wanted to return to campus, but also many of them uh, were very fearful and uh, wanted to not to return to campus and wanted to stay in uh, what they perceived to be their safe environments at home. And so we opened up in the fall with a virtual teaching and learning environment. Uh, much of our messaging was around saying to our students, this too will pass. You are young. We recognize that you are experiencing something as we all are. That you have never experienced in the past. But know that while we are apart, we are together as a Global Force University community. And that as a young person, you are resilient. Don't allow this pandemic uh, to derail you of your academic uh, goals and your academic experience. I also reminded our students that the virtual environment was an environment that they were very fluent in. And we forget that. I mean, their phones, social media, their, their ability to move around uh, in in virtual spaces is, uh, is phenomenal. And, uh, and so we acknowledge that while we were moving in a different direction in terms of what they had been used to, that they should not be fearful. And that together, we would be innovative and creative in terms of making sure that they had the best teaching and learning experience that, that they could have. We also recognized uh, that there was uh, some disparity in terms of their uh, possession of an exposure to technology. And so we, uh, we addressed that by making sure that we asked those of them who needed computers, who are you? And they told us, and we've gotten computers out to them, we've got hotspots out to them. And we've continued uh, to be very creative in terms of how we engage our students in a virtual environment. Uh, an example of that is just a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, we had dinner virtually um, and conversation with our uh, with our royal court. And uh, I popped in and uh, just had a just a discussion. How are you doing? Uh, what's going on? The as it happens, the uh, Miss Wilberforce, Mr. and Mrs. Wilberforce had done a, a wonderful video on campus. And so I complimented it on that and just had conversations. And we try to do a lot of that. Last week, we had our virtual opening convocation, again, virtually. And so this is the way uh, that we, uh, this is our new normal. And while it is not ideal, I don't think that we have to acquiesce uh, to feeling helpless uh, and that uh, nothing can be done to continue to engage our students. I know a lot of folks have noticed that speaking generally, HBCUs have comported themselves well throughout this in communicating with students and making decisions clearly and, and really showing students that they care about their well-being. And that's Absolutely. a pretty widespread belief. But as you're dealing with all this, you know, in the summer, the killing of George Floyd, uh, it sparked, as you know, qu quite a bit of discussion and, and angst about the nation's systemic racism. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder, as you, you know, you're dealing with that, and of course, the disruption to students' lives, which, as we all know, has been disproportionately felt by Black and Latino Americans, mm -hmm. how do you set the right tone of encouragement as a president? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know in another episode on the show, I had a student, uh, not at an HBCU, who said, mm -hmm. The president's so positive, it sometimes feels like toxic positivity. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'm struggling, so I want to know that they understand that. That's it's right. Tough needle to thread, and how do you do it? Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, but let me remind your listening audience uh, of this. George Floyd brought into bold focus what every Black person in America has always known, including our students. And so this was a pivotal moment for them, but not in the way that you might imagine. 
this did not increase their anxiety. In fact, in some ways, this was an affirmation for what they had been experiencing. What was different was the fact that others who were not African-American were now recognizing what they have always known in their lives. And so we didn't have to do anything differently there. In fact, the worldwide focus on the injustice here embolden our students to do something more and to be involved in what was quickly becoming a worldwide response. And so this, what happened to George Floyd was nothing new to our students, believe me. What was new was that the world was now acknowledging it. People who were not them, who were not a part of their cultural and racial background were saying, and saying very openly and very assertively, this is wrong. And so for our students, that was in fact uh, an affirmation that you see, this has been happening to us. Now, I think that the point that the student made about a sort of toxic positivity is a good one. And uh, it is important for a president to strike a balance. And so I say to students, I know what you're feeling. I'm, I'm here as well. This is a, I acknowledge that this is a difficult time for everyone, that there, this is a time that is historic, that very few people alive have lived through a global health pandemic. But I also say to them that you're young and you're resilient. That is part of being young that you will get through this, that this pandemic will not be with us forever. It's not, we can look at history and see that it's not going to be forever. I have challenged my students or, or urged my students to read um, about the pandemic of 1918, to see some of the similarities, to see some of the differences, to see how we came out of that. And so I say to our students, this is a difficult time without a doubt. Uh, we will provide you as much support as we can, without a doubt. We are all uh, experiencing this. But I always say to them, be kind to yourself during this time and be kind to one another. Something that's you know really very, very simple, but very profound in terms of its implications. And that's the approach that I've taken to acknowledge my humanity and acknowledge my vulnerability uh, during this period as well, uh, but to also challenge my students to be reminded that as young people, they are resilient, they have a strength, uh, that they're living through a difficult time, but they will in fact get through this. And that's, uh, that's our message. It's really helpful to hear that. You know, when you were talking about the affirmation piece, I was actually thinking about the pandemic too. I mean, obviously none, nobody's lived through this, mm -hmm. but so much of the impact and the disproportionate impact and what it's shown in the recession was already there. You know, sure. as, as uh, Richard Reeves says, it exposed the, the whole society is a pre-existing condition. Absolutely. Um, you know, do you have some of that with your students too? Like, yeah, we know it's going to be harder for us and mm -hmm. our families because that's how our society is structured. I mean, in, does it in some ways line up? It does. It does. But again, the, the African-American experience in this nation, and again, I don't, uh, I don't pretend to speak for all African-Americans, so let me quickly uh, preface by saying that. But uh, a part of our experience in this nation is uh, the realization uh, that fairness uh, when it comes to people of African descent is not something that has been a part of our experience here in America. And so while, again, our students know this, this is not new to them. 
Uh, and so what we are charged and challenged to do at this particular point is to help them to galvanize uh, a, a personal strategy so that they can realize their own personal agency in moving past and getting to a point where they can take full advantage of what's presented to them, developing the skills, developing a knowledge base, getting a college degree, being intentional about uh, their careers, uh, thinking very positively about what's possible for them uh, and their families. So that is really the message. It's really about how can you as an individual galvanize the fullness of your experience here in America as a black person, understanding that, not uh, retreating from that, but fully embracing that, understanding both the opportunities and the challenges in that. How can you leverage this real exciting cultural moment where there are allies, others who now affirm that there is unfairness that exists. And then how can you marshal your own individual strengths, abilities, talents, and gifts to in fact um, move you uh, to a place where you can build a life for yourself and, and your loved ones. When you mentioned popping in on the court virtually um you know how how does that sort of dynamic play out with faculty and other staff members are you able to connect in some of those serendipitous ways yes. you know, how, how do you do it it depends and of course as you might imagine in any uh, population of, of uh, people you're going to have people that are much more engaged than others and so it is with our faculty as well i would say that generally we have a very engaged faculty with our students and who have a very uh, personal relationship uh, with our students so faculty are calling students faculty are emailing students students are emailing me uh and i'm able to say how are you what do you need how can we help uh, and so uh, we just continue to be as creative as we can in this virtual environment. And so and uh, doing what we can, sometimes on the fly, sometimes it's much more thoughtful. But uh, it's always uh, with, the, uh, with the goal of making a connection uh, with a student, uh, which is at the core of uh, what we do. When I think about student supports, you know, advising and counseling, whether it's academic counseling or, or, or mental health or other types of counseling, I'm just wondering what, what I know a lot of student supports are, are resource intensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, how does an institution looking forward, I, I hear you, this will end, but for now mm -hmm. we're in this for yeah. a while. How, how does Wilberforce approach that question of bulking up student supports mm -hmm. from, a, from a resource perspective as well? Mm -hmm. Well, we have to focus on our human resources at this point. I mean, you know, that's really at the core of what we, what we can do now. Uh, and so people, this is a very people intensive period where people and their commitment to our students really uh, has to be, uh, has undergird everything that we do. Uh, and so, while resources are clearly, clearly important, our students are not with us. And so the resources that we need are the technology, being able to get computers to students, being able to get hotspots to students, being able to train, uh, continually train our faculty so that our faculty are showing up and being creative uh, in, the, in these virtual learning uh, spaces, but also to contacting our students, being in touch with our students, letting them know that we are here for you and we need to hear from you. How can we be in touch? How can we email? How can we set up Zoom uh, opportunities, whether they're fun, uh, whether they're counseling sessions, whether there are 
uh, whether we have a Zoom uh, health and wellness day that we uh, invite uh, counselors and psychologists and also religious uh, persons uh, on, a, on a Zoom meeting uh, to talk broadly uh, to students about uh, what some of their challenges may be and what some of the opportunities uh, for getting assistance might be. Uh, and again, it all pivots on the degree to which we use this medium. In, in, in it's different, but how can we use it to address some of the challenges that our students are facing, particularly around uh, their mental health and their uh, social, psychological, and spiritual well-being. Well, President Pincard, uh, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with this. Uh, Thank with you me about this and you know, tough topics, but I feel like we, you know I really actually appreciate your perspective. Um, Thank you, and uh, best of luck to you and your students in you. moving forward in this interesting time. Thank you very much. And thanks for this opportunity to speak with you, Paul. Have a great afternoon. If you're looking to go even more in depth in IHE's news coverage, check out our special reports. These deep dives feature rich data and reporting, as well as thoughtful, substantive analysis you can trust. Visit insidehighered.com backslash special reports to view the topics we've covered and to purchase the report that best supports your area of work or study. I'm speaking with Dr. Alan Dennington. How are you doing, Alan? Doing well, thank you. So I'm pretty sure you're the first medical doctor on the podcast, which is exciting. <laughs> Would you mind starting off by just talking about Timely MD and, and what you all do? Absolutely, love to. So Timely MD, we're a telehealth organization that works exclusively with colleges and universities or higher education institutions to help provide and improve healthcare and wellness for student, their student, their student populations. We provide both medical and mental health services. So we partner with universities to really work collaboratively with their clinics and their on-site resources, whatever those may be, from institutions that have very little resource to ones that have a lot of resources in place, but really to extend and partner with them to extend their healthcare services so that students have 24-7 access to medical visits, to be able to talk to a doctor, get a treatment plan or prescription, but also be able to access mental health care. So we have mental health providers uh, available 24-7 for on-demand consultation with students so that students can just have somebody to talk to um, kind of in a moment of need or when they're just needing someone to talk to about a mental health issue. And we also provide scheduled counseling services with counselors that are licensed in the state with the students. So the students can establish an ongoing therapeutic relationship for you know, diagnostic or therapeutic counseling uh, with a provider. We also offer a couple other services uh, in, our, in our packages, health coaching, uh, which is also looking at improving overall wellness uh, in maintaining healthy lifestyles, sleep habits, exercise, diet, nutrition. Uh, and we also provide psychiatry services, so access to psychiatrists through telehealth consultations as well. So I can imagine quite a bit of changes in the telehealth world in, in recent months. <clears throat> and among other things, we all could use some help on healthier lifestyles. But let's start with mental health here. Um, I gather you've seen a big jump in demand from your college partners. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So, you know, as I spoke to earlier, we, we do both medical and mental health. And really prior to COVID, uh, we were seeing increases in mental health utilization. But when COVID hit, we had a, really a, a spike in mental health service requests or requests for consultations or, or consults with students on that mental health side, such that the mental health component of our services actually surpassed the medical component of our services and the number of visits that were being done kind of for the first time on that, on that platform. Throughout the COVID 
crisis, we've seen continued kind of high utilization of the mental health services with students calling about really COVID anxiety, but also anxiety and depression as very common reasons for those calls. And a lot of that we believe is coming from this sense of isolation that students have uh, and being away from their friends. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world uh, culturally as well. And those things are all really driving up stress and anxiety. Just recently saw a, a survey from Active Minds, uh, which is a great organization that showed 75% of students that they surveyed, they surveyed about 2,000 students. And I believe about 75% were saying that their mental health was uh, either negatively affected up to significantly affected uh, by COVID-19. And so I don't think that's really a surprise, but it's really come to bear in the services we're providing and seeing how many more mental health consults we've been uh, providing for our institutions. You know, we've been struck by data and there's more coming in all the time showing that uncertainty, anxiety, and loneliness and isolation are, you know, the primary barrier for a lot of students to staying enrolled, staying on track, or enrolling in college to begin with. Can you give us a sense of how the calls shape up and how, how your folks work with students to help resolve some of that anxiety? Sure, absolutely. So if a student calls, you need know, to speak with a, count, or with, a, with a mental health provider on our on-demand or talk now service, you know, that the, the provider's going to first analyze or work with the student on what, what are they calling about? Is it about anxiety and stress? Is it about an issue with a roommate or a family problem? Really, they're going to analyze them for safety and kind of what level of distress that student's in. Once they've kind of established the students in a safe, safe place so that they're not a danger or they're not in a crisis uh, of some sort, you know, they're really going to just delve into what is it you're calling about and trying to help them with, here are some basic techniques that maybe you can use to help to manage that, uh, help to manage that level of stress or that anxiety. And here are places you can go. Here are resources that your campus has available to you. Here are other resources that you have within your telehealth program. And here are just some healthy ways that you can deal with that stress and anxiety or outlets that you can use to, to release it. Like you mentioned, we found even before COVID when we were talking to a lot of schools, some of the main drivers of people dropping out or the main complaints the students had were about isolation and loneliness. Like students feel lonelier today than the day before, whether you want to say that's a, a disconnect because of social media use or you know, heavy use of technology and phones. Um, they're feeling alone and, the, and COVID pushing them into their own places and kind of separating from their friends, I think it's only been something that's exacerbated that. I know it's tough to generalize about a large sample like this. And, you know, I, but that's, that's, that's what I do. Um, you know, I, I wonder, is it, it, COVID has largely exacerbated and worsened things that were already there. And I'm talking at the macro level, you know, societal ills, uh, you know, worsened and, and, and exacerbated and, and accelerated. Um, but are these different types of issues that have been given more of a sharp edge through COVID? Uh, you, know, you know, how different are the calls in general to what you would have seen before, I guess is what I'm asking. That, you know, that's a great question. I, I don't think, honestly, that the nature of the calls is significantly different. The calls that we got from students before COVID were, were still a lot around anxiety or depression or loneliness. But the underlying, this underlying scenario of having COVID there as an additional anxiety driver is a, it's been a trigger, I think, for students. So it's further enhanced the amount of that that they're feeling. It's put them at a higher baseline level of like stress and anxiety so that when they have this anxiety about other things, their daily life things, they're, they're having more difficulty managing them, that, that than usual. 
So I think overall the, the chief complaints usually aren't like students calling saying, I'm anxious about COVID-19 or about my health related to COVID-19, but it's like this contributing factor that's kind of like tightening the strings, uh, you know, on everybody. So it's getting tighter so that it's easier for people to kind of to burst. And that's one of the reasons we we really feel strongly about about our immediate program, like, you know, having that immediate access to somebody to talk to because it's like this release of, at least I can talk to somebody about it and release some of this tension or stress and maybe stop this kind of escalating problem more quickly. Because the more we get people to call about small things or to call early when they're starting to feel bad and to talk about talk to somebody about it then, the less likely they're to build up and build up until they're like in a crisis. You know, and they're and we don't want them calling and saying like, "I've had enough of life, and I'm ready to hurt myself uh, or kill myself." You know, we want them calling and saying, "You know, I've really been having problems with my relationships, and how can I deal with that?" And then we help them deal with it then, so that they don't get to that point where they're feeling like they're hopeless or feeling like there's nowhere else to go. Do students view this often as a helpline where they can really talk about a wide range of things, like? relationship anxiety, you know, or, or is it a bit more down the clinical, this is a, a medical appointment, if that makes sense? Sure. I, they definitely, it's portrayed and viewed by the students as being something they can call about anything for, from, from small things up to bigger things. We do have a, that more clinical service of that scheduled licensed counseling but really we don't view talk now as being counseling per se, but being an outlet, like call about anything call. That's why we call it talk now, right? It's just, if you need somebody to talk to, call and talk with us about it. And we have students call about things that sometimes that are kind of funny, like their roommates stealing their food, uh, you know, from the fridge. And so they're mad at them and it keeps bothering them. And how do I handle talking to my roommate about this to get them to quit doing it? You know, they do also call about big things. They call when they're having crises or, or negative thoughts um, or even issues where they're, you know, considering self-harm. They'll call about that too but the students don't perceive it that way. They'll call about lots of things. They'll call about, I've got a big test tomorrow and I've just been feeling really anxious about it or I'm calling because I don't feel motivated to do my homework uh, and I just feel like I don't have any motivation to do it right now. So they'll call about those kinds of things as well. And we want them to, right? So we really push that in, in our marketing and our work with the schools to, in getting the word out to students. It's, yeah, call us about anything about anything because we want you to talk about it now. We want to keep that level of stress low. Can you give uh, listeners a sense of the range of institutions you work with? I gather it's pretty broad. I know you all have partnered with Johns Hopkins and some HBCUs and community colleges, but how does, how does it differ across different sectors if possible? And, and just to give folks a sense of you know who you work with. One of the great things about telehealth is that it really can fit almost any type of institution because it's this 24-7 service. So we partner with small institutions that have very little resources, small private colleges, a lot of who we first started partnering with that could kind of move quickly and activate a program and had a lot of need, all the way up to some of those larger institutions like Johns Hopkins or Emory or Duke that we've worked with that have much more robust resources and have a lot of services available to their students, but have also run into issues with, particularly with COVID of, what if our students aren't in state with us? You know, how do we provide care to students who are remote or who are our online students? How do we provide care after hours when we're closed or on the weekends when students may need mental health support the most? So yes, yeah, small institutions all the way up to large institutions, 
Um, we work with uh, HBCUs uh, and also have signed and worked with several community colleges, which are obviously these larger populations of underserved students who really benefit a lot from having access to a service like this where they can get this really low, I want to say low cost, I mean free to the student where they can call and talk to somebody or talk to a doctor without having to pay any money for that. You know, uh, I spoke with the president of Wilberforce for this episode about setting a tone from the top uh, to help encourage students in these challenging times. Any advice you'd have for college leaders or, or, you know, best practices you've seen from some of your partner institutions about programs or even just attitudes of encouraging students to seek help that you would encourage others to follow or look into? I think that the most successful institutions that we've worked with and we've talked to really have this idea or attitude of putting like the student's best interest first. So they're looking at how can we best serve our students because if we're really serving the students well and we're trying to make sure that the students are healthy and they're focused, then they're going to be more successful and they're going to be more engaged. So we look at just engagement. What's your student engagement look like? How do our services affect your engagement? You know, engagement with the school and activities and those other things because the, the universities that really seem to have the most success are the ones that have students that are that are engaged with the school, that are participating in things, that are very active uh, in doing that. So putting the students first and really focusing on what's the quality of the experience that the student's having in a way that's like, how are we contributing to making the student into a, not just a successful student, but really helping them to develop life skills and making them a successful person kind of for the long term. Those seem to be the schools that really are thriving more even under stressful circumstances. Well, thanks for talking about this. Uh, you know, I feel like we can't do enough on this topic and we're going to be doing a lot more to come and you've already helped us out at Inside Higher Ed to, to figure out how to cover this important story. Um, so I really appreciate your perspective. Sure. Well, great. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. appreciate the time and the opportunity. This episode is sponsored by Cengage. From online to high-flex learning, Cengage supports your changing pedagogy at scale. Learn more at Cengage.com institutional. That's C-E-N-G-A-G-E dot com institutional. That's it for this episode. That's episode 25. We're more than halfway through a year with this podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me.